Today on I'll Have You Know. I started talking about wanting to be a reporter when I was about 10 years old. I joke that I was always uh, the kid in class that got the minus when knows when to talk and when to keep quiet. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good start. I um, have a perspective on the world that not everybody has because of the, the very good things that happen to people in their lives and the very bad things that have happened. I feel like now it's made me an incredibly empathetic person uh, no matter where my work takes me. All right, I'm here with Christine Dobbin co-host of the I'll Have You Know podcast. I'm Scott Gale. I sit on the Rice Business Alumni Association board and am thrilled to be here hosting kind of a behind the mic uh, episode, taking over uh, this episode and flipping the script on Christine, giving her an opportunity to come in and share a bit, a bit, uh, a bit more about herself. Um, Christine, welcome. Thank to you. your own show. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me and giving me the opportunity to uh, flip the script here. So we just want to just jump in and I'd love to understand a bit more about kind of what are the, some of the things that you're working on and spending your time on today to kind of what does a day in the life look like for Christine today? Well, right now, um, it depends on the day, I guess. There's really no no typical day. I um, I've shared my story with with a lot of people, but I you know came to Rice Business as um, a career pivoter and uh, had had a, about a twenty year television journalism career, and since then have moved into more of the business side of storytelling is what I like to call it. So working with various clients and helping them tell their story, and it's been a, a bit of a wild ride. I've really just tried to open the door to opportunities that you know, that came to me and have found myself working with uh, various industries, have clients in um, aerospace, energy, medicine, education, real estate, and have also worked in a variety of capacities. It's all communications related and storytelling related. So it has been quite a journey. And I've said I've, I've been doing this full time for about a year and a half. And given my experiences, I feel like I've learned 10 years of information because there's been so much coming at me. But it's been a, a wonderful experience and allowed me to see maybe what are my biggest strengths, what are my biggest challenges, where do I have areas to grow and learn, and what I just flat out love to do. And maybe some things I don't enjoy as much and either want to move away from that or perhaps um, delegate that to someone else to do. Do you feel like there's kind of a step change in terms of kind of coming out of the pandemic a little bit in terms of just the mentality of the organizations that you're interfacing with and some of their 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 underpinning rationale and reasons for why they're communicating and how they're communicating? Definitely. I think that the, the, the pandemic taught us the importance of communication, uh, whether that's external or internal. Every company had to relay their message of you know, they were affected in some way, whatever their product or service is externally, and they had to convey that to their customers. And then internally, a lot of employees had so many questions about, you know, what they were doing to protect them. Um, now, you know, you're dealing with hybrid work environments and, and, you know, are they going back to the office? Are they not? And so I believe that um, the role of communications was, um, you know, magnified um, in many ways by the pandemic and people maybe have a better understanding of of the importance of it. 
Very cool. So it kind of feels a little bit kind of right place, right time. Yes, yes, um, definitely. That's awesome. Uh, I'd love to kind of understand, I mean, you mentioned kind of a, a, a career heading into your rice business experience in broadcast journalism. Can you take us back a little bit to sort of, I, I call it sort of like a spark moment or when, when did you know that you wanted to go into broadcast journalism? And can you tell us a little bit of kind of that uh, that origin story? I don't remember an exact moment or event in my life. And at times I've even wondered why did I want to pursue it? Because I didn't know anyone, no no one in my family, friends who was really any kind of journalist. My grandmother um, had a love for writing and um, they were the World War II greatest generation. And they didn't get the opportunities that maybe they could have had if it weren't for the war. But she always talked about how she would have been a journalist if she, you know, she could have done that. But she wrote poetry and wrote different things. So I think some of my love for that I inherited from her. I started talking about wanting to be a reporter when I was about 10 years old. And I, I don't know why. Um, I joke that I was always uh, the kid in class that got the minus when knows when to talk and when to keep quiet. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good start. But it really is um, – sort of this package of a lot of things that I enjoy, history, politics, current events, meeting people. I have a huge curiosity about about every topic you can imagine. And so you roll all of that in. And um, I also like storytelling. And so that's how you kind of gather it all and get to that point. In in high school and college, I had a lot of those roles where, you know, newspaper editor, yearbook editor, any kind of communications type role where I was the one that gathered the information and got to tell the story or share the news. That was always um, an opportunity that I was looking for. So went ahead and pursued that in college and then ended up throughout my career working at three different stations. I think I um, have a perspective on the world that not everybody has because of the the very good things that happened to people in their lives and the very bad things that have happened uh, to people on the darkest day of their life. And I appreciate those opportunities because I feel like now it's made me an incredibly empathetic person uh, no matter where my work takes me. Just such a, a exciting background and experience. I think that um, one of the kind of questions that I have is, you know, I, I would sort of argue that kind of the average person doesn't maybe appreciate sort of the, the 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 front end work that goes into good storytelling. You sort of know it when you see it kind of thing. But like, so my question is sort of around kind of the process and maybe kind of double click into kind of what what does it take in your view and in your experience to kind of pull together a good story? What are some of the components of that? And and when do you know that that's working? And when do you know that it's maybe not working and kind of time to put it in the discard pile and move on? Definitely. And I think that's one of the biggest um, things people are maybe surprised about when they hear what it's like to be a reporter. And this could be a print reporter, a television reporter, a variety of ways. Um, I think people think that you know, we sit around and get our hair and makeup done, and then someone hands us a script at five o'clock. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I, I tell young uh, uh, students in college when they ask about the profession, you know, I say you have to really want it uh, in order to put the work in. I mean, the the salaries are not great, and they're not getting any better. Um, it's long hours, it's holidays, nights, weekends. It's very you really have to be all in and really want to do it uh, in order to pursue it. Over the course of my career. The workload did increase with um, when I came on, social media did not exist. So um, that, you know, so we had social media, uh, more uh, web expectations. So you're really sort of a print TV journalist. And then you're also feeding the beast to uh, post things to social media. 
But the way our our day would start was usually with an editorial meeting. Uh, there were two a day, so depending on your shift, where uh, everyone would talk about you know what's going on today. Sometimes those are scheduled events. Sometimes breaking news. What are uh, current topics out there that are trending? And you were expected to bring usually three story ideas to the meeting and make your pitches. And those pitches could come in a variety of ways, you know, uh, keeping contacts and sources and staying in touch with them, whether it's police, an attorney, you know, someone um, at the at the state house, uh, you know, bringing those ideas. Sometimes I would get an idea just driving down the street and I would see something interesting. So my eyes were always open. Any kind of a social event I was at, I was listening What's the conversation? What are people talking about? What's important in their lives? And then it's really you hit the ground running. You have maybe three to four hours to turn the story. You're working the phones. You're trying to set up interviews. You're um, gleaning anything you can from the Internet, um, any kind of information you can get. And then you're really driving all over the city trying to gather your interviews and um, shoot video and get the pictures that are going to match your story. And you kind of mentioned, you know, this blend of like skill and luck. I mean, you've been recognized at some of the highest levels for some of the stories that you've told. Could you share maybe a specific example of sort of where those things kind of came together um, and maybe one that uh, you felt like was like the story and like didn't really like hit or, you know, one that uh, was maybe an unexpectedly kind of took a life of its own? About a little more than a decade ago, I, I had been in Houston a few years, and I have had a a bit of a fascination always with the Cold War, Germany, the Berlin Wall. I'm not sure why. I just am, am really fascinated by that that story. And you know, living in Houston, you're exposed to um, the connections with the Bushes and James Baker and their role in in the Cold War and the end of the Cold War, and I always liked to dive into um, longer form storytelling. I mean, your typical news story is maybe a minute and 30 seconds. I really like a 30-minute show. And that's really rare to get to do in in local news. And I had this idea of uh, putting together some kind of anniversary show for the Berlin Wall. And so I had this idea of trying to put together something where we um, explain, you know, just sort of the Houston connection and then... Um, also went to Germany to, you know, tell tell the story there. And at the time, our we were traveling a lot. We they were, um, you know, for local news definitely. They had some budget to do these types of specials. And I went to my news director and I pitched the idea. And he said, "If you get Bush, I'll let you do it." And I was like, "Oh, okay, so no no problem." <laughs> <laughs> so I started working. Uh, I I called his press secretary and. Had a had a lunch with him and kind of told them what I was trying to do, and also um, went through James Baker's secretary. Um, you know, they liked the idea. They said, "Okay, we'll consider it." And you know, I approached them in like February, and the anniversary wasn't until November. Okay. But you know, time was ticking. D- didn't hear anything. Continued my persistence. Would check in with them every so often. Um, eventually, um, Baker's press secretary called and said. Secretary Baker has agreed to do an interview on with your special. I still hadn't heard from anyone from the Bush camp. And uh, we shot that at Rice at the Baker Institute. And he he was he was amazing. Uh, the way he can explain, you know, what happened during that time, how it all, um, you know, how it all unfolded um, and, and his role in it. And one of the things I learned was 
um, the relationship between Bush and Baker. I, I really think it was a once in a lifetime, once in a generation, maybe one of the best presidential secretary of state relationships we'll ever see. And the way they were able to get so much done was because of the trust they had, which dates way back to their time in Texas together. And so at the very end, I uh, said to Secretary Baker, I said, Mr. Secretary, have you been pleased with the way this interview has gone? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, would you put a a bug in uh, President Bush's ear uh, that I'm trying to get an interview with him to to complete this project? And he said, okay, I'll do that. And the next day, Bush's press secretary called me and said, we'll do it. So that was just, uh, it was a spur of the moment idea I had that maybe the way in isn't through all the press people and the handlers because their job is to kind of manage the schedule, you know, screen all the interviews, but go through the, you know, the person who is the most connected to him. And if he liked the direction of the story and and my interview um, positioning, then maybe he could, you know, convince President Bush to do it. So then uh, we we ended up doing that, um, went to Germany. President Bush and Mrs. Bush both traveled for a recognition ceremony. And I believe it's it was one of the last international trips that Bushes took together, if not the last, because they, uh, you know, their health was um, still pretty good at that point. But, you know, so what an honor to be there. And um, I think my biggest takeaway was um, the um, the recognition ceremony. It was Cole, Gorbachev and Bush and the the German people and their appreciation for America's role and both Bush and Baker. It, I mean, I was crying at the end of the ceremony and a lot of the, there were people out there holding signs and I had to ask them what the sign said because it was in German, but a lot of them were, would have been born maybe after the wall fell or, or were very young when it fell. So they had this appreciation. The next generation understood the role that, you know, that America had. And like, I got choked up just thinking about it, but that was um, just an, an amazing career experience, but also a an amazing personal experience for me to see all of that firsthand. Yeah. What a special, cool kind of starting with just kind of a spark and just having it snowball yes. into just this great sort of the right story at the right time with sort of just the the, the right people there to sort of tell it. Thank you for sharing a really uh, cool just kind of uh, detail of kind of how that unfolded. I love it. Could we talk a little bit? Uh, obviously, I Will Have You Know is a podcast focused on the rice business community at large. And so can you share a bit about your experience heading into rice business? What was kind of the the drive and, and interest and share a bit about uh, then kind of uh, how that experience has pointed you in the direction that you're in the things that you're working on today? Definitely. I had been exposed to rice, of course, through through reporting, through living in Houston and was very aware of, you know, its reputation. I remember covering a story in, it was in Shell Auditorium at, at McNair, McNair Hall. At some point, I, I can't remember um, when I was reporting I, and I was on the night shift and it was one of those, a lot of time we dip in and out of something. We go in, we get some video, we get a couple of interviews and we leave. And I don't even remember what the topic was, but I was so en- engrossed in it. I was like, I don't want to leave. We had to move on to another story. And I, I just kind of remember thinking at that point, I'm going to I'm going to go to school here one day. I, I don't know why, but I just I just felt like I had more to learn and there was um maybe an element in my brain I haven't fully discovered, maybe more of the business side. And so I remember that and then had 
you know, kind of looked at the program from time to time. And then when I started feeling like it was time to move on from news and I wasn't sure exactly where I was going to land, I felt like, one, I knew I needed to sort of hone my business chops uh, just coming from a journalism background. And also, I, f- I think when you're transitioning, sometimes having this this big maybe platform, if you want to call it that, um, and also I've called the Rice um, in the class of 2020 my tribe because I needed a new tribe to connect to. For me, it was it was a great move. It was a great kind of segue to you know to the next phase in my career, and you know it it was challenging for me academically. I've always loved school, but I was so focused on journalism in undergrad. I hadn't taken any. I I didn't even step into the business school at uh, Ball State University where I where I did my undergrad. So I felt uh, you know intimidated just walking in sure. and. Um, a lot of my classmates are just exposed to a lot of the things we were talking about in class on a daily basis. And I, you know, I'd been in courtrooms and at crime scenes. <laughs> so it was definitely brand new territory, but I loved the challenge and grew so much from, I mean, the professors are, are excellent. Um, Rice assists you, you know, in, in helping you even with tutoring and things when you need that extra help. And then my classmates were there, not not just as supporters, but what I learned from them. Um, I, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. It, it exceeded my expectations. Did you come into the experience with, as you mentioned, kind of uh, with a, a pivoting mentality? You'd kind of had this idea that, hey, maybe it's uh, I've done what I wanted to do in kind of broadcast journalism. Uh, and how can you share a bit about how that pivot has kind of unfolded is where you're at today, sort of post-graduation where you had kind of seen or what were some of the kind of steers along the way? Definitely. I, when I, when I first decided to do the program, so in most of the time in television news, you ha- you work under contract and most of those contracts, if you're on air, you're either three years, five years. I was on, a, I think a three-year contract and I had looked ahead and I knew that contract was ending. It was sort of in the middle of the program. And so the first year of the program, I was juggling both and, um, used I think I used all my vacation that year just to go to school so it was it was hard because you didn't really get any break you're you know you're doing both Um, but I knew at the end of that I was going to just go ahead and and leave and I had you know prepared for that financially and wanted to focus on school the second year and one of the great things about it it enabled me I completely leaned leaned into everything at Rice I went to you know all all the mixers the networking um, some of the speakers I just tried to absorb it all and you know, if you, the typical executive program, you you can't do that as much because you, it's on weekends and you're working. And it was important for me to try and maximize my experience. And you also have full reign of uh, choices of all the electives through the full time professional and executive program. So I took classes across all three programs and met students in the other programs. And one of the great things about that, for example, the the um, full time program, I was on teams with, you know, a, ge- a generation uh, younger than me. And I thought this is really important for me to understand kind of how they think, how they work, because I I could be managing them in a role, um, looking ahead, um, if not working with them as my peer even. So I loved it because I, I was able to expose myself and kind of see how they, they work and work together. When I decided to leave uh, my job, I decided to start my own LLC. 
And that would enable me to maybe do some freelance work on the side and have a little bit of income. So I started Dobbin Digital Media and did a little bit of work. It was it was enough, um, not too much that I was still able to to focus on my studies and um, wasn't sure where, where I was going to take that. And as I approached graduation, the, the pandemic hit and I had a few leads for some contract work and they all dried up within within a month. And it it was a very scary time as I had left, you know, my full-time job was about to graduate and was not seeing any traction. And then within a few months, I had a lead that developed from a Rice business professor to work on the COVID vaccine trials and help with media and marketing. So I can honestly say probably three quarters of the work I have today is all from the Rice Business Network. Maybe our cohort, maybe a professor, or maybe someone within the community. But I think back to if if I wouldn't have gone through the program, you know, and kind of told people, here's my background, here's what I'm trying to do, and they they got to know me, I would not have, I wouldn't, you know, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. I've got kind of a question because in your uh, role as co-host of uh, the I'll Have You Know podcast, you have this opportunity to to get to know and and hear the stories kind of firsthand of kind of the rice business community. Um, what are in, in through that experience? Are there some things that you've sort of want to ask like enhanced kind of your perspective on the rice business community or changed your mind about the rice business community on certain things like a a few takeaways from from your time as host definitely i've really enjoyed being host and um have met so many people some recent graduates some from 20 years ago so it's interesting to hear them talk about how the programs evolved because rice business is still is still a young program compared to a lot of others around and um the variety of, of professions in which they are in, some of them who have been career in, in a specific area, others who have pivoted like myself two or three times. And that's the best part is getting to know them, getting to know their stories, seeing if we know any of the same people. Uh, but I have found one, you know, one common thread is everyone just talks about how the program was just such an important part of their life in shaping where they are today. Um, they all talk about the the network and the people and the professors. And so that that's common, the impact it's had on their life. It, it's, it's the same again and again. So that just speaks to the power of the program and um, the impact that it has, but that each person takes that and sort of finesses it and moves forward in a different way. And that allows them to, you know, kind of go on the path in which um, they planned or in some cases they completely didn't plan. You know, I've talked to a couple of guests and I think they went into the program thinking they would continue on their current path. And they met a few uh, students in their cohort and came up with a business idea and founded a company and went in a completely different direction. So it's, it's really cool the way it um, opens minds and then gives everyone these additional opportunities and takes them in a direction that they never thought they might go in. I like it. It's like this crossroads where there's just so many different opportunities and perspectives that are brought and um, opportunities, like you're saying, like the opportunity to come in with a particular background and then to go and now spending time with totally different entities, organizations, people, and getting just kind of that exposure and experience. Um, 
kind of a question of in terms of incoming potential alum or, you know, uh, uh, potential students or, or folks, uh, that are thinking about the program, are there things that from just an advice standpoint or things that you've seen in terms of what, uh, what people should consider as they, uh, come into the program or consider the program to take advantage of it? I think making sure it's, it's the right time in your life and career, because it is true, you know, for two years, you, you really have to be completely all in and, uh, you know, study like you've probably never studied before and um, taking on the, that financial obligation as well. So I think making sure it's just the right time. Um, but I don't know that I've met anyone who who regretted it. And and there are some people who were, oh, definitely I'm doing this. And others, they were a little bit on the fence. Um, but I think just getting into that mindset. And I for me, it was the perfect time to be in that mindset. I don't know if a few years earlier I, I could have focused in on that um, because I was still – I still had one foot, you know, in in journalism or maybe two feet. And then I was just ready to, to step away and to focus on – something else. And I think you find a mixture, you know, even in the people that I've interviewed, uh, career pivoters or those who are maybe um, on the way to the C-suite or moving up within their own company. And one of the things that I've I've given a little bit of feedback on is I do think the executive program in particular, um, the um, demographic, I guess, um, or the psychographic of the student has changed a lot in the time of the program you still have uh, people coming from a, a traditional kind of corporate role and they're maybe even their company wants them to get the MBA uh, to move them up into management. I think there will be more of the, of my uh, my kind of people who uh, are coming from one career using the program as um, an opportunity to move in a different direction. And then I also, I love Rice's commitment to vet, to veterans. We had, I think, nine veterans in our cohort and for some of them, were even uh, you know retiring from the military after twenty years, um, and moving in a different direction. And so I think uh, we'll see more of that as the whole idea of you know staying in one career your whole life has has sort of evolved over time. Well, and, and particularly in, in your case, storytelling it transcends uh, sectors and uh, and and jobs, and it just it's it's important kind of across. Uh, I guess uh, sort of a curiosity that I have is just kind of how, what are sort of the, some of the, those components of storytelling as, as different organizations and, and people are coming in and you're having those conversations. What are, what, what are some of the things that you're looking for in that? It is, um, you brought up a good point because when I first, you know, decided to kind of make this move, there's a little bit of a joke in, in media that you're moving to the dark side if you go into PR or anything on the on the other side. And I think early in my career, I would have said, you're selling out. You're selling out, you know, because journalists, you're supposed to, you know, be truth seekers and stand up for the little guy. And and if you, you know, go to the, to the other side, maybe you're not doing that. And I've had some real, I guess, epiphanies along the way. And I think one of them is, is I thought uh, the storytelling aspect maybe – would um, would have a different meaning. And while the intent is different, I mean, journalism, the intent is, you know, to inform. Um, there's, you're not trying to, you know, sell a product. Um, you're, you're trying to maybe stir the pot a little bit and 
um, and affect change in a lot of ways and for a lot of stories. Whereas storytelling for a business, you're ultimately trying to, you know, enhance the brand, increase uh, the knowledge, help people understand the product or a lot of um, elements surrounding whatever the, the product or service is. But as I've, you know, gotten my MBA and really sat down and talked with even founders, CEOs, you understand that the reason a business started was to solve a problem. And the people at the core of that are very passionate about whatever that product or service is. In that's why they started it. And so there's still passion there. It's just different. It's, you know, it's passion. There is the goal of a profit at the end, but that doesn't that doesn't really lessen the story or the impact or the importance. And so that's been one of my realizations. And when I have talked with uh, some of my clients and I see and understand why they're doing what they're doing, and I think that's an important thing is the why. The why always matters, whether it's journalism or a storytelling for a business. That's at the at the core of everything. And then I think the second key is uh, really articulating that to whoever your audience is, um, whether that's you know viewers for a newscast or a particular um, audience of customers that you're trying to reach, um, helping them understand the product or the service, why they need that, why it matters in their life, and kind of wrap it all up with with a bow um, and bringing some of some of that emotion into the story as well. Kind of driving a bit more authenticity and kind of relatability to a a product or an experience or yes. something that's kind of being offered thing is with business type storytelling there there's in, there's more intent and you do have to be very careful there's more legal reviews we had legal reviews in journalism but this is a different level when you're dealing dealing with companies and um you really have to be careful about the messaging and and be very specific about it but um i think that once you um kind of drill down into all of that and and, and get through all the mess um you can find ways to help them um, make it resonate. And I think that's where my journalism background can really help because I do feel like, especially with a lot of big corporations, people just kind of glaze over. And then as I've gotten to know some of my clients and I understand what they're really doing, and I think to myself, well, th- well, this this isn't at all what is being sort of portrayed or what people are understanding, a lot of misunderstanding. So just trying to help enhance um, enhance that uh, story. And there's so there's so many other ways to do that today. Um, so many different platforms where you don't just have to go through, you know, mainstream media, you can have a lot more control over your story now using your own platforms. And that's been a big change in in overall, you know, media. It's amazing. Christine, this has been a fantastic conversation. Like you said, I, I feel like we could uh, spend another hour digging. I've got all these other kind of questions that I want to dig into, but I'm mindful of the time. So Christine, where can people find you? If uh, how, how can they, they they get in touch if they're uh, interested in the things that you're working on or just want to connect and, and hear more from, from you one-on-one? How, what's the best way for people to track you down? Definitely. I would say probably LinkedIn. I find LinkedIn to be a great platform. And I have Christine Dobbin. And then I also have Dobbin Digital Media, Message and Connect. And I've even um, met met and connected with uh, a lot of different people that have uh, led to different business relationships that you never imagined. So that's always a great, a great platform. Very cool. We'll make sure and include those links and things in the show notes so that uh, people can track you down. Um, 
a big shout out and thank you to the Digital Wildcatters for uh, allowing us to use their space here yes. and um, uh, appreciate their support and uh, encourage people to check out the I'll Have You Know podcast in the middle of season two and uh, exciting things ahead for sure. And uh, yeah, Christine, uh, thanks again for taking the time. It's been thank a blast. You. It's been great. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it and let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, David Drugliever, and Christine Dobbin.